Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view. This is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, I'm Peter Schweitzer, and this is The Drill Down. Joined, as always, by author and vice president at the Government Accountability Institute, Eric Eggers. Abject failure in Afghanistan. There's no other way to define it. There was the withdrawal, which was widely supported uh, in the country by people from both political parties. And then there's a manner in which the withdrawal of American forces happened. It was the failure of the suits and not the boots. It was a failure of the politicians and the bureaucrats, not the soldiers, Marines, Air Force personnel and others who worked so hard and fought so valiantly in Afghanistan. And I think what's so shocking about this, we're going to discuss it today, is the fact that this is something that we knew was coming. If you think about when an earthquake happens, it's a sudden disaster. There's chaos. People trying to grapple with the situation. Uh, This was not an earthquake that suddenly happened. This was an earthquake we knew at least three years ago was going to unfold. And we were wholly unprepared. It was disastrous and it unfolded in a terrible manner. We're going to talk today about Afghanistan in two parts. We're going to talk first about the 20-year war and how we got to the point where this war failed and Afghan forces collapsed. And then we're going to talk about the withdrawal that took place, the manner in which it was conducted, uh, and the horrific consequences that we are going to be uh, dealing with for some time to come. To discuss it today, Eric and I are joined by Jason Chaffetz. He's a distinguished fellow at the Government Accountability Institute. He chaired the House Oversight Committee from 2015 to 2017 and was a member of Congress from 2009 to 2017. So Jason was there and heard a lot of these reports. So welcome, Jason, and thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So let's talk about this 20-year war uh, that we had. Um, We poured huge amounts of of blood and treasure into Afghanistan. By some counts, we spent $89 billion, that's with a B, uh, on the Afghan security forces, and they folded like a cheap suit in a matter of a couple of days. How did this happen, and did did you have indications that this was going to happen when you were in Congress? So, you know, as the chairman of the Oversight Committee, I relied heavily on what's called the CIGAR, the Special Inspector General for Afghan Reconstruction. Uh, They had issued 52 quarterly reports through the years. These are people, boots on the ground, internal auditors, if you will, that go out 
uh, into the field. They review USAID. Uh, they look at the military. They look at everything that's going on there. Now, I visited Afghanistan a couple of times, but as a member of Congress, you kind of blow in and out in hours, if not a, a few days. Um, I was stunned on what I was seeing, but based on what the inspector general was telling us, um, and I always had a quarterly report with him, always had a full committee hearing, and every single time we heard the same story. We talked about massive corruption. We talked about the incompetence. We talked about contractors that weren't doing what they were supposed to do, and the waste, the fraud, the abuse, um, the sheer cons that were going on there. There there was one province, for instance, where they said they had this massive uh, security force in place. And yet the inspector general found that 70% of that was just fraud. It was just, it was just made up. It, and so yet the money continued to flow um, and we weren't actually making progress. Yeah, it's a really interesting dynamic, Jason. And it sounds like there was a disconnect between what you guys were being told by inspector generals, but what the American military brass were being told because of this kind of element of careerism. I actually spoke last night with a member of the special forces who was on the ground for some time. And he said there was absolutely no appetite whatsoever for top military brass to be told that things weren't going as well as they, that they really weren't because everyone's looking to sort of continue to advance. You don't get promoted by saying, hey, we've got a massive problem. The Afghan culture is actually not into this at all. And so everyone, it was actually better for the career of the members of the military to spend the money in a corrupt and wasteful manner. And I think it's honestly because of your efforts and the efforts of Cigar. They said $300 million in a 2015 report, right, while you were kind of in charge over there, is going to um, Afghan national police and security forces that were only, quote, partially verified. Um, and then after that, there was a crackdown, and they got 42,000 fewer people were being paid because they started using biometric data as opposed to just, like, what the spreadsheet said. So, I mean, that's just one time, one report. Hey, how many people do we actually have versus what the U.S. taxpayers are paying for? 42,000 fewer just in a two-month span of actual accountability. And so, like, I think, to your point, that's happening everywhere. Well, and, and Peter, I actually really like the way that you said it in the intro here, which is it was the suits that failed, not the boots. The men and women who went over and served, they, they did an amazing job. But yeah, when yeah. we would go in there and we would sit with people, and I always did this at random. I'm a big fan of management by walking around. And so you go and you pull somebody randomly out and they... I heard this one story, for instance, where uh, a contractor got a $50,000 contract to build a 10-foot by 10-foot slab of cement. <laughs> At the same time, he apl they, they, they applied to put in this uh, – for a forward operating base – put in the cement, they simultaneously got a contract to tear it back out. And they literally <laughs> went, poured the cement and pulled it back out, got paid twice and did, did absolutely nothing. I, there was another story. If you, if you drove around the, the, the streets of Kabul um, or even other places outside Camp Leatherneck uh, down South and other places, you, you can see American toilets literally just huge swatches of them on the side of the road. And then you say to the, your your host who's taking you there, somebody from the military. Hey, what are all these American toilets doing? Said, well, we sent the, the Afghans literally 
thousands and thousands. Somebody got some huge contract for these American toilets. Problem is they don't have the plumbing and that's not how they go to the bathroom. So they took them, <laughs> they spent the money and now they're on the side of the road and you can basically buy one. They'll, they'll hand you one for free, but nobody's buying them. That's the kind of thing that we were doing as a government to try to make them Americanized. We we, we bought, we did a whole report on all of these um, security forces thinking they would have a police force, you know, like we do in the United States. So we would go and build the building. Guess what? They would turn it into a sheep um, housing facility because they have sheep and goats. They had no need for an actual police department. Yeah, it's remarkable, um, you know, the fact that you had this disconnect between what sort of the bureaucratic machinery of the Department of Defense, the Department of State, uh, these other civilian agencies, they're sort of plodding ahead um, in this direction. They decided where things were going to go. And once that machine started moving, uh, there didn't seem to be a whole lot of adjustments. You had the inspector generals, you had oversight efforts to sort of deal with that uh, fraud. But it never seems to stop the march of this bureaucracy. Let's let's shift a little bit, Jason, now uh, to the issue again of of maybe the culpability or some of the failures being the result of sort of old fashioned pork in Washington D.C. Uh, and I'll just give sort of one example. Um, this involves Senator Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut. I'm sure there are other examples uh, of people that served on Capitol Hill in November of 2016. Uh, he basically forced the uh, Afghan Air Force um, to uh, switch to Black Hawk helicopters. Now, uh, Senator Blumenthal, I don't think, is a military strategist. Uh, I think he exaggerated uh, certain elements of uh, of uh, his service in Vietnam. Um, but the switch was done. Why? Because Black Hawks are, of course, made in Connecticut. And we all like Buy America First uh, approaches. But here's the problem. By forcing the switch to Black Hawk helicopters, they had previously been using Russian-built um, uh, MI-17s uh, for logistics work, you now had to retrain huge elements of the Afghan security forces in a helicopter they weren't familiar with, uh, these Blackhawks. And according to a military accounts, an analyst that looked at this, it was a huge setback for the Afghans. So again, there was this kitty of money that was being spent in Afghanistan for what I think was a noble purpose uh, to help the Afghan people. People, and we had brave American soldiers fighting, but you had this kitty of money uh, and you ha actually had elected officials saying, here's a way I can kind of feather the nest, curry favor with my constituents, you know, whether this is going to actually help the war that effort, who cares? I'm going to kind of get mine. And this is the other problem that we have with, with how wars are conducted in the United States. Well, and it, to, you have to also couple it with Pakistan because a lot of this yep. neighbor to neighbor, it, it happens on both sides. You know, it was less than 40 days ago that uh, President Joe Biden said this is the one at, one of the best equipped uh, military fighting, fighting forces on the face of the planet. And somehow he came up with this mystical 300,000 people, but he said they were one of the best equipped. Let, let me give you a story that I had firsthand on the ground in Afghanistan. They were showing us how they were training supposedly this police force. And I was with a British commander and I said, how's it going? And he said, the exercise was they were trying to take these Afghans 
And the idea was a car would drive by, and they were teaching them to write down the license plate. And, <laughs> and, and, and the, the, the British commander said, here's the problem. These guys have never held a pencil. They've right. never been mm-hmm. to school. They don't yeah. know the alphabet, and they don't know in numbers. And, and they've been hired, and this is the police force that I'm doing, uh, that I'm, I'm dealing with. But I'm literally teaching them how to hold a pencil. Do you really think that we have the mechanics necessary for our Black Hawk helicopter maintenance in order to do that? You don't. It's it's hard for Americans who have never been there to fathom how backwards this is. That's why in 2009, quite frankly, I took a position that we ought to get out because Mm – there was no way in a hundred years you could fix the problems that were going on there if they don't have the will, if they don't have the means, they don't have the education, and they don't have the resources. And you know what? The Chinese, the Russians were in there taking advantage of us every single step of the way, and we kept throwing dollars at it. And you're right. We have these things like Senator Blumenthal and others who came in and thought, oh, I'll, I'll throw some money in my district, but they weren't actually solving the problem. The premise under which we engage in this operation, I think, was flawed, but but I think it's flawed on a number of levels, right? I mean, the toilet story you tell couldn't be better. We're giving them things they're literally not equipped to be able to handle. But what I think some of the reporting is now revealing is even the idea that, hey, you want to fight for yourself and stand up your own government. There's indications that that's actually not something that they were overly interested in doing. The Afghanistan culture is actually much more locally focused. They care about their tribe. There isn't this larger sense of Afghanistan national pride. Is that something you ever got any sense of by being there? Or did any of the reports indicate that? Because that's harder to quantify. Yeah, I mean, by, look, by, by all accounts, um, opium is about the only thing that they're able to export. They're able to grow poppies. So our United States military would blow in there, and part of what we were trying to do is nation-build, right? We, it, right, which we're not very good at. We have the biggest, baddest military on the face of the planet, but to try to transition a uh, landlocked uh, country uh, into productivity uh, just wasn't there. And so we would torch their poppies, and then – Look at these people, and they would just start crying because they had no other source of income. We tried, we we sent military and experts in there to try to help them grow pomegranates. Well, pomegranates take like <laughs> eight years to grow, and you don't get as much as you get for poppies, which just grow naturally. And so, you, we were trying to do all of these silly, stupid things um, to absolutely no effect, and they were just like, "What are you doing here? We don't want you here. I we don't want anybody here. We just want to live our lives." But you know what? The Russians and the Chinese, the, the, the one asset that, that Afghanistan has is a massive copper mine. But the Chinese came in and took it over. And, and we never did anything about it. We just let them take all the extract of these, of these uh, minerals um, and rare earth minerals. And the Chinese just kept doing it and doing it. Meanwhile, I think your average person on the street has just grown up with war. Um, and, and never really learn to kind of do the basics of what's needed so that we could eventually leave. Yeah, it's remarkable when you talk about uh, the miscalculation in Afghanistan, the fact that, that they didn't have this national identity. You know, a, a lot of the same criticisms were waged against the way we conducted the war in Vietnam, right? I mean, LBJ said we're going to put a Tennessee Valley authority in Vietnam and everything's going to go great. And, and here we are doing the same thing. 
thing, you know, 30, 40 years later, we're making the same kinds of mistakes that we made 40 years ago in Vietnam. It's, it's, it's really quite astonishing, the, 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 the lack of, of, of awareness by bureaucrats and government officials. But I think it's, so how do we fix it, right? I mean, if you're saying it's about the suits, not the boots, and Jason's been, I mean, Jason helped oversee the mechanism by which we're getting the reporting and say, no, here are the problems. You talked about warning signs. Every cigar report said, no, like we are not able to verify that the security forces are as real as they are. There were problems. Anybody that was paying attention would see the problems. But the military itself lacked the ability, right, or the moral courage within the people at the higher levels to say, listen, guys, this is not where it is. I mean, Joe Biden doesn't stand up there and say it's the most well-trained, most well-equipped force uh, in the world. I mean, you know who's really well-equipped now with $83 billion worth of equipment? The Taliban, right? Because that's who took over U.S. stuff. But it sounds like there's an echo chamber in the United States military. So how do you get the military to have incentives where you can say hard truths? I buy most of that. Look, the cigar, the Special Inspector General for Afghan Reconstruction in July of this year, July, last, you know, last month, issued a 324-page report called The Risk of Doing the Wrong Thing Perfectly, Monitoring and Evaluation of Reconstruction Contracting in Afghanistan. Uh, all the things that you could possibly think are going wrong. But, you know, classic DC, they're not looking at, they're not paying attention to it. But I got to tell you, I think what Joe Biden did, the way he did it with Kamala Harris, who said she was the last person in the room to get this stuff done, they did not do the basics. Where was the international community? Where was the person in the room who said, you know, maybe we should extract the U.S. personnel first before we send home the United States military? I mean, these are such basic, I mean, simple third grade questions that just were not answered and executed. And to say that he's made 100% of the decision of, and he stands 100% behind it, and now he's got to send in more troops than were there before. I mean, there could not be a bigger debacle, even though there were all these reports about how you should do things and how you should fix things. Getting out the U.S. personnel before the military left I, I don't know how you can excuse that. And where is the communication? Why is there not an international effort? I, I, this is supposedly what Joe Biden was going to be an expert at, but it's such a total embarrassment. And I feel bad for the men and women who lost limbs and lost their lives and served over there. It's just a total embarrassment. Yeah, and let's let's transition now. We've been talking about the twenty year war. Let's talk about the withdrawal and and the absolute fiasco and disaster. When Joe Biden ran for president, uh, he really said two basic things. He said, number one, with my administration contrasting himself with Trump, we're going to be the adults. We're sophisticated. I've operated on the international stage before. I know what I'm doing. That's the first thing Joe Biden said. Second thing he said is, I'm going to build back our confidence with our allies. I know Merkel. I know the Brits. I know these other foreign leaders. In this singular event, mm. he has absolutely destroyed both of those claims. 
Uh, this withdrawal was amateur hour. If you look at the reporting that's been coming out, Jason and Eric, you see that that there were warning signs. The Defense Intelligence Agency was last year raising concerns. The CIA this spring saying the withdrawal, the manner in which it's done, the Taliban are gearing, they're getting ready to uh, to to move forward. There were warning signs. There was no preparation, as you said. We don't even really know how many Americans are still left in Afghanistan, and we are now here. Hearing that basically the White House is essentially saying, hey, guys, essentially you're on your own. The State Department, the State Department is allegedly telling the personnel there they're giving them directions to the airport. Yeah. I mean, so this is a this is an absolute abject failure. Um, and I don't know, Jason and Eric, where we go from here in terms of confidence. You already see uh, China uh, rattling their sabers as it relates to Taiwan, saying you can't trust the Americans. Israel has expressed concerns. You know, looking at the withdrawal, Jason, and the after effects, how do we get accountability? Is is anybody going to be fired because of this fiasco? Nobody seems to get fired. And where do we go in terms of policy to, to trying to shore up and reassure our allies, uh, given what they've just seen on their television screens? I, I don't know that there is any simple answer to that. It was absolutely such a debacle in uh, and look, you had the highest levels of, of personnel saying, I mean, you had the Secretary of State literally saying, look, the Taliban's not going to take over on some Friday, you know, and then <laughs> be ruling by Monday. And then literally that happened. And so yeah. I, I don't know that any of these uh, partners really, truly trust us in this regard. There was not an international movement, a coordination, uh, a push by um, NATO or the United States um, to to make this happen in an orderly way, I think the goal was laudable to get our troops home and bring America home. But the execution of it, and I got to tell you, I think I think China is looking at Taiwan with you know salivating. Uh, I don't know where you get the the strength. I, I just buy in the I buy into the whole Ronald Reagan peace through strength. And we have shown more weakness uh, in the last few days than I think we have seen since the days of Jimmy Carter. I think that is the that is the right analogy and the right comparison. And it's not for a lack of 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 money that we plus that up. By the way, the Democrats, the one thing that they asked for uh, less money and their budget was the United States military, four hundred billion dollars in cuts uh, over the next 10 years. That's the it's the only thing they want to cut. They want to spend on everything else. But right now it's in shambles. So here's the question, right? I mean, you mentioned China a few times. Even China has held people accountable for what they perceive to be the clear failure of the leak of the Delta variant. And things. I think they've fired 47 health professionals in the wake of some of these issues. Do you think that Mark Milley or Lloyd Austin or somebody else should resign over this? Uh, personally, I do. When you have a United States military uh, aircraft, a C-130 trying to take off and you got people clinging to it, people dying because they're holding off. I mean, we uh, where was the control? Where where was the mechanism? Why did we close Bagram when we had operational control of it before we evacuated all those people? Somebody had to make that decision. We should have a list of who all the Americans are. And who needs to be taken out? And who are the friendly Afghans who needed to be um, taken with us because they were going to die or be killed or slaughtered or executed if they didn't? Somebody had that list, didn't they? You know, I, and I say that, and I'll go back to an example with the Special Inspector General. 
We were spending an ungodly amount of money on building schools in Afghanistan. And, and USAID was bragging about this. And I said, I want to see a list of the schools. And then I want to see a list of the GPS coordinates because I'm going to want I'm going to ask our government to show me a satellite view of those of those schools because I don't believe you. You told me you built hundreds of schools and I'm going to randomly throw a dart and I'm going to go find two dozen of them and I want to see a satellite imagery of that school. And they came back to me and they said, you know what, we don't have that. Um, we don't have a list. And then I said, <laughs> they didn't have well, a list of the schools. Anyway, say you funded each of them. How could you not have a list? Well, sir, if we generate a list, then they're going to become targets. And if they're targets, these people are going to get hurt. I said, so the answer to that is we don't have a list. You don't trust me as the chairman of the oversight committee. You don't trust the Pentagon and you don't trust USAID with a list. But you spent the money. I mean, this is the kind of circular discussion you're having. So the idea that we have a list of Americans that need to be extracted before we pull out. I don't put it past them, but th this is the kind of question a president or a vice president or a secretary of state needs to ask before we actually do it. And and here's the bottom line. We've been talking about uh, the disaster of Afghanistan, uh, the 20 year war, uh, the, the horrific withdrawal. We talk a lot about accountability. We talk about corruption. Uh, sometimes we have fun discussing it. But this is a reminder that corruption has consequences, uh, that incompetence, lack of accountability actually has a human cost and toll to it that's not always visible. Uh, and that's a reminder that you have to take these issues seriously. And that if you don't try to root out corruption, if you don't try to deal with this kind of waste and fraud, that oftentimes it can have horrific consequences, not just bad guys are getting rich and making money and taxpayer money is being squandered, but lives can actually be, be lost. Uh, and that's, I think, my biggest takeaway, the fact that we need to have accountability. We understand the 20-year war um, uh, it did not go well. There was all this weight and fraud, waste and fraud. You had this simple act uh, of, of withdrawing forces. It could have been done organized. The 6,000 troops that Joe Biden ended up sending now to Afghanistan uh, could have been sent earlier. It could have been or done orderly. It was not. Why? I would argue because of poor leadership in Washington and a culture within certain elements of the bureaucracy, the State Department and others, that do not hold people into account when they spend money on schools that aren't there, uh, when they pay soldiers that are that are not there and they engage in kind of this corrupt uh, activity. Jason, what are your final thoughts? We better learn these lessons because we spent a horrific amount of money. Uh, and and I probably more importantly, the men and women who served there, uh, the, the human cost, the human toll on Americans. I do hope the men and women who served there understand that they did do a lot of good. That Absolutely. We, we did not suffer a major terrorist uh, attack after. Um, and, and while I've got serious questions about what we were doing and how we did it for a long time, I hope the men and women who actually sacrificed and served there, they understand that uh, our country is most grateful for them. But there darn well better be some accountability from these suits and these bureaucrats and these politicians, because what happened there was absolutely disgusting. And, that, and, and there are people now that will be killed because of our incompetence. Nothing more than just sheer incompetence. And uh, it, it's sad, but we can't just have a podcast and move forward. Somebody actually has to be held accountable. And it's not just resigning. It needs to be more than that. 
I agree. Eric, your final thoughts. Yeah, I think that there's uh, some major systemic issues that I think Jason has been working on for years. Uh, the Government Accountability Institute, you and the people we work with here, this is what we exist to do is try to highlight the issues. And I think, um, as you noted, the suits, we've got major incentive problems. I think the people you talked to that were on the ground said we never had an end state in mind. And, uh, you know, it's crazy. It's Jason, hard, hard to believe the kids that are in high school today were born after we started this war. And when you sort of when they say, well, why are we in war in Afghanistan? We say, well, because of 9-11, because you see 19 people got on different planes from Saudi Arabia and they attacked uh, different landmarks, in the United States. And then we went and invaded Afghanistan. And it seems like that even try to explain how we ended up here from there. 20 years later, I mean, we don't have any additional clarity on what we were trying to do there, what the goal was. And, um, you know. $83 billion later, it just seems like an appropriate end. It's a tragic end, but um, I, I agree. I hope I hope that we learn like major lessons and there's actual accountability uh, for the people involved. Well, we applaud the boots, and we want to hold accountable the suits. Uh, we've been talking today with Jason Chaffetz, distinguished fellow with the Government Accountability Institute. He was neck deep in trying to hold government bureaucrats accountable for the waste and mismanagement of the Afghan war and has been outspoken about uh, this horrific, terrifying withdrawal that we've all seen uh, visually unfolding. Jason, thanks so much for joining us. Eric, thanks for uh, being here as always. Uh, and if you are interested in this podcast, uh, please go to thedrilldown.com and join us next time. This is Peter Schweitzer. Thank you. Thank you.